Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. find love. Definitely. Yeah, I'm pretty confident about that. That's what makes it so easy for me to be 80% happy for Monica and Chandler. It'd be nice to have a little guarantee, though. What do you mean? Well, you know, some people make deals with a friend, like if neither of them are married by the time they're 40, they marry each other. You mean a backup? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. You do? Joey. Joey? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, I locked him in years ago. <laughs> Wait, so if neither of you are married by the time you're 40, you're going to marry Joey. Yeah, we shook on it. Uh, we laugh at clips like this, but the, the reality of it is that this seems to be true for a lot of us. I don't know if at some point in time, or maybe currently, you have a deal. Hey, if we are not married, or if this doesn't happen by the time I'm 40, I'll do this, or I'll do this, or if I'm not at this point in my life, I'm going to do this. We laugh at clips, but if we're, if we're really honest, I think a lot of uh, our life is lived in this way. If A falls through, B is always there to pick me up um, if something were to happen. And this isn't a terrible way to live in our real life, but I think when these principles carry over into our relationship with Jesus, uh, we end up uh, living and, and really taking away from the power that exists in the presence of Jesus, in the power of God. Um, we, uh, we limit his power and we shrink his presence. And, in, uh, and, and in, as a response of that, our trust and our faith in Jesus diminishes um, because of this idea that we can, we can be able to, we, we will be okay if Jesus' plan falls through because I have set up a backup plan, right? And what, what ends up happening um, when we do this is we end up showing doubt in God's ability to be God. This is what a backup plan in our faith does. It shows doubt in, our, in God's ability to be who he says um, that he is. In the verses that we've read this morning that Heather read for us, we find our own calling and we find our own challenge, and we find um, words of Jesus, and really a, a sending out um, of Jesus uh, that, he, that he does to those that he calls. And, and in that process, um, we find ourselves sitting um, in that place. And so um, today is kind of a, is, is a special day uh, for myself, and I've been excited about this day for a while, and, just, and obviously being able to stand before you this morning um, is a very special honor. But here's the thing, I think um, today, it, for me, I, I've thought a lot about what today looks like, and today for me, is a, it's a confirmation of a calling that I've had on my life for a long time. 
But the thing about it is, is that it's not, like today is not just a day for me to reflect. I, I really believe that in this passage, a passage that God has laid on my heart for a long time, um, there are powerful truths that lie within this passage that challenge the very core of who we are as believers. They challenge the way that we've been called, they challenge us in what we've been called to, and they challenge us in how we respond to the calling of Christ, um, the, the calling that Christ has laid upon our hearts. In these seven verses, there are a number of things that we could focus on. Um, this morning, I want to focus on three, um, and they are this. One is that the called life is not a life of self-sufficiency, but of God's supremacy. Um, Second is that the called life is not sustained by material security. And third and finally, we'll talk about um, that the called life will not be experienced without facing opposition. All right, so the first, the called life is not one of self-sufficiency, but of God's supremacy. Um, my, uh, my family is here from South Carolina. Um, it's always fun having them back. They were in Birmingham for about 20 years. And it's crazy to think that um, coming up in June, they will have been in South Carolina for almost, or for two years, um, which is mind-blowing that it's been that long already, but um, they live in a, in a city called Sumter, and uh, Sumter is very different than Birmingham. Um, it's, Sumter is not a, a, it's not a distant city to our family. Like, uh, I spent a lot of my childhood in Sumter. Uh, we actually lived there for a time, and um, then we moved to Birmingham, and then my, my dad um, has now taken over as a head pastor at a church there, so he's been called back, my family's been called back to, to, uh, to Sumter but Sumter is very different. Um, as a child, one of my favorite things to do growing up was to ride my bike. Well, when we moved to Birmingham, I quickly realized that like, no one rides bikes because um, no one likes hills. And so I, the bike kind of stayed in the garage. I didn't ride it ever again. But um, when I was younger, it was what I, I loved to do. I loved to ride my bike. And it just so happened we lived in this quiet, um, nice little neighborhood. And I had some friends that lived like six or seven blocks uh, down the road. And so about the time I was around seven, maybe eight years old, my, my parents, they let me, it was like turning 16 as a child. I was like, they let me take my bike and I could go on my own and I could go see my friends. And so I would do it whenever I had the opportunity. Uh, there was a little pond around the corner and so I'd ride over there, I'd go see my buddies, I'd come back. And I had done this, um, by this point I had done this journey several times. Um, but one day on the way back, uh, I faced, I, I had an encounter um, with a big, angry Rottweiler um, that was not a pretty situation. So I, I'm riding back and I can see my house ahead, um, probably 100 yards away. And as I see my house, I just, I hear this big dog. And this dog had kind of been like a dog that loved to terrorize little kids as they rode their bike. But um, this dog just started to, to come, and I, I was pedaling as hard as I could, and the dog it knocked me off my bike, and I remember laying in the street, I'm like, sandwiched in between, um, or, uh, this bike in between us and the, the, or me and the dog, using it almost as a shield to prevent this dog from attacking me, and at this time, uh, this lady drove by, and she rolled her window down, and she saw that obviously I was having trouble, and so she yelled at the dog, hey, 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 and so the dog kind of gets up, and it she distracted enough for me to be able to pick my bike up, and I get on my bike, and as fast as my little seven-year-old legs could go, I pedaled home. And as I'm pulling into my house, I look over, and I can see through, um, through the front yard, I can see my dad is in the backyard, and he's doing some yard work. And so we had a side gate, and the gate was open, so I pedal, and I see, and I'm like, I'm going to the backyard. So I pedal, and I get in the backyard, I'm like, Dad, 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 I'm getting chased, I'm getting chased. And all it took was my dad um, being... Uh, just the, the man that he was, he stepped forward and he just said, hey! And uh, he kind of scared the dog, right? And it kind of, 
and it, then it kind of whimpered and it turned around and it ran out the gate. And at least this is how, you know, again, I haven't talked to them, but like my seven-year-old mind, this is what it looked like. It probably looked different than it actually was. But for me as a seven-year-old, I just remember in that moment, like the thing that kept me, that, that brought me comfort in that moment was knowing that the authority that my father possessed would keep me safe and would protect me in that moment. I think in our faith, in our, our walk with, with Christ, there are so many moments where we feel like my seven-year-old self that said, I can do this on my own. I can pick up my bike. I can go down the road. I can do this life by myself. And then we face a struggle and we face an obstacle and we realize very quickly, no, we can't do this on our own. Left to our own devices, left to our own self-sufficiency, we will fall short every time. But when we're able to fall back in line and when we realize that God's power, his supremacy, his authority has empowered us to be able to go forth, it's in that moment when we are able to fully live into the calling that God has placed in our life. I love that in the first, first verse of this section in, chapter, seven, or in uh, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the disciples, began to send them out two by two. But before he sent them out, the thing that he did was he gave them authority to be able to do the work that he had put before them. I think there's multiple things that we can learn from this. One is that God doesn't leave us empty-handed to do the work that he's called us to. He doesn't leave us without a plan. He doesn't leave us without, um, maybe we don't always know where we're going, but he doesn't leave us out there alone. He doesn't leave us on an island. He gives us the skills, the tools, the, 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 the things that we need in order to fulfill the calling that he has bestowed before us. He, he empowers us. So what does he do with the disciples? He empowers them to have authority over unclean spirits. He empowers them to have the ability to forgive sins. He empowers them with um, the ability to minister in whatever context would come their way. All right? And the, the beautiful thing about it was, is that left to their own, yeah, the disciples would fail. And it would have looked ugly and nasty. And at times we see this. We see how left to their own devices, left to their own abilities, the disciples do fall. They lose their faith. We see Peter out on the water. He thinks, oh, I can do this. I'm standing up. I'm walking on water. And when, the minute that he takes his eyes off of Jesus, the minute that he disconnects himself from the power of God, he begins to sink. And it takes the hand of Jesus to step down, to reach down, to pull him up. And once that power is reinstilled, he's able to walk again. Left to our own devices, we, we can do nothing. Um, but living into the power that Christ has given us, we're able to, to, to fulfill the calling that he's bestowed um, upon us today. I think this is hard for, for us. I think it's hard in our community to, to live this way. Um, the reason why is because for a lot of us in this room, for all of us, there are skills that God has given us that we think, hey, I can, like, I can do life on my own. I'm pretty good at doing this. I've kind of made it this far by myself. And so giving up the idea that I can take care of myself is very difficult. But there will come points and times, there will come journeys, there's going to come obstacles that come where when we do fall on our face, what is it that's going to be there to pick us up? And if we're not connected to the supremacy of God, then we'll fall and, and our you know, things just become shambles. But leaning on the everlasting arms of our Father, um, connected to the authority and the power of Jesus, we are equipped to handle anything um, that the Lord steps before us or pre- presents before us. Uh, second is that the called life is not sustained by material security. Um, 
I, uh, I listened to a sermon recently by a pastor named Tim Keller. A lot of you probably heard him, listened to him. And uh, in this sermon, he, he made multiple mentions, and I, I love this idea. Um, he says this. He says, the gospel is extremely offensive. Um, and I think if any of us have had, you know, the more that we dive into the gospel truth of, that Jesus has for us, the more that we realize, yeah, it does. The, the gospel is extremely offensive. It offends my way of life because it calls me out of a life of comfort and ease and normalcy and into a life where we may not always know what's happening, but we just, we trust that Jesus is going to take us there, right? That's an awkward thing that it offends my lifestyle. It offends my comfort because I find comfort as we probably all do in knowing what's coming next. Well, what happens when that's not there? Yeah, it's offensive. I'm like, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what this is because what Jesus calls us to is something very, very, very different. His instructions to his disciples in this passage is just, for me, I love it because it's very different than any, any other, um, they're more specific than in any other time that we read throughout scripture. And he says um, basically this, take nothing for their journey except a staff, all right, like a walking staff, um, no bread, uh, so no food, no bag for clothes or belongings, no money, um, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And in fact, um, one of the things I love about this, if translated correctly, uh, this thing, the, this, uh, to wear sandals is actually translated, it means this, is to have the sandals fastly, or, uh, um, fastened firmly under your feet, All right, always ready for what's coming next. Um, and then obviously to not wear two tunics. I, I think this is interesting. Um, and, and the reason why is because it's Jesus just basically saying, hey, I, I, don't, I don't want you going. I don't want you getting anything else. Like, I think about this on my own end. If I was here, if Jesus stepped before us today and he was like, hey, um, Brookwood Baptist Church, I'm going to send you out. Um, but you're going to go right now. Like, you don't have time to do anything else. And I would say, well, like, can I run home and get my phone charger? Or can I get, you know, an extra change of clothes or whatever it is? And it's, no, you can't. You, you have to leave right now. And I would, today I'd be like, Jesus, I'm like, I'm, I'm wearing a tie and like slacks and some nice shoes. Can I go put on like something more comfortable? No, you can't. You got to go right now. And this is, this is hard because it, it does, it takes us away from comfort. I mean, our life uh, for us in our community, one of the things we've been extremely blessed with is that we live lives of comfort. Um, we have a place to sleep. We have food to eat. We have more than enough clothes to wear. We have cars to drive us where we need to drive. We just, we are used to a life of comfort. And so I think upon reading this, at least for me, it shakes me up. It makes me think like, man, I hope God doesn't call me to this. What happens if God calls me to Africa? Do I leave my job and my friends and my finances and my wealth? Yes. Well, why do we do that? Well, because the life living within the provision of God is way more joyful, way more rewarding than the life thinking that our material security is going to be able to provide us with a life that sustains. That's just, that's the life that Christ has called us to. And so um, I think this is obviously a very hard thing. And I think for us, it's, are we able to, to, to set aside the material security and say, hey, God, wherever I am, I'm just, I'm going. It doesn't matter what I leave behind, but I'm, gonna, I'm willing to go. Um, are we living into that calling um, in that way? I, um, it's crazy. I'm, I'm going to share a couple of South Africa stories with you today. It's crazy to think that um, we have been to South. We've been going to South Africa. This summer will be our sixth year to go to South Africa, which is, um, it's been an unbelievable blessing. It's been such a, such a cool experience. Um, a couple of years ago, we did, a, we did a different trip where typically it's been youth and two, 
two years ago, three years ago, we did a trip where we took, um, we did kind of a, a family of sorts, uh, an intergenerational trip, and, um, and it was an amazing trip. We took 29, 29 of us went down, and um, we had a wonderful week. But on the way, we ran into like one of the, the great uh, luggage malfunctions in probably in British Airways history. Um, they, I think they mishandled like 18,000 pieces of luggage or something insane. It was just, it was an absolutely crazy thing. And so as upon arriving to South Africa, we realized very quickly that our bags were missing, they were gone, and we were really left to whatever it was that we had. And obviously, initially, our thought was, are you serious? Like, we're going to start our trip like this? Like, this is going to be such a, such a negative experience. You know, like, good gracious, like, I don't have any of my clothes. We don't have the things we need. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt because we left Birmingham, and it's 95 degrees. We get to Cape Town, and it's like 45 degrees. I'm like, what are we going to do, you know? And it was so cool to watch because over the course of the next several days, I mean, it took up to five or six days for some of our team to get their luggage, but it was like the most, it was one of the more unifying things I've ever experienced on a mission trip. Because what we did is we just, we came together and we shared with one another in needs that we had. We, um, we went out to a store and, and we, we got some things, but, you know, we were, we, we were really left to whatever it was we were wearing. I mean, we had, most of us, we had, we had one outfit. You know, we had one thing on our body. In a sense, we had one tunic. And you would have thought that ministry would have been affected by it. And I think, in all honesty, ministry was only enhanced because of that experience, and the reason was because we were forced in that moment just to say, hey, you know what, forget the clothes, forget the extra stuff, we're just going to go and serve with what we have, with where we are, with what's on our back, this is how we're going, and uh, it ended up being one of the more meaningful experiences, and I think if you were to ask anyone who went on that trip, one of the most beneficial um, mission trips that I've had the privilege of ever being on, and a lot of it was because of that, um, which was very cool. Uh, third and finally, the called life comes with opposition. Uh, I, uh, this, uh, verse, uh, verse 10 says this, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Um, if any of us have faced opposition, I think one of the things that happens is whenever we face it, especially maybe when it comes to our, our walk with Christ, we're like... <laughs> We, we face an opposition, we have a conversation with somebody, and they're like, listen, I don't want to hear any of this, like, I'm done, and we're kind of like, all right, fine, forget you, dude, I'm out, right? And we kind of, we, we dust off ourselves and we just kind of roll, and that's kind of what we say, and I think if we're not careful, we read this passage, and we say, that's what Jesus means, and that's not what Jesus means. Um, Jesus has called us to places, but those places don't come without difficulty. They don't come without opposition. There's going to be moments where we go to areas along our calling where we are taken to cities, places, jobs, where we face opposition because of the calling that Christ has laid upon us. What Jesus is saying is not, hey, just dust them off and kind of dust off the shoulders and be done with them. No, it's what he's saying is like, hey, I've come and I've done all I can. And as a way of kind of cleansing myself and moving forward, we kind of dust off ourselves, and we, and we move on saying that, look, I've come and I've laid the groundwork. I've done the things that I've been called to do, and now they are left um, to be judged by the Lord. It's not our place to judge. It's our place to go. But when obstacles come, it's kind of the, what is the response going to be? How do, we, how do we respond to adversity? How do we respond to opposition um, when, those things, when, those, when those things come before us? Uh, I'm reminded of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Um, and he says these words. He says, um, forgetting what lies, beh- lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead, I, and then he uses these two words I think are so powerful, I press on. Um, The life of Christ, the calling of Christ, requires uh, the ability to press on. It requires the ability to move forward when life beats you down. It requires the ability to see the good and see the grace of Jesus um, in all things. And so uh, as we experience our calling, as we receive our calling, uh, it's important for us to be able to do that. I want to, uh, I want to share one more story with you from South Africa. I had, I've had the privilege of uh, the last six years, I've, I've, met, I've, made a, I've really formed a really strong relationship with, um, with one individual who's in Cape Town and our team, some of our team that's going this summer um, is in here, and they're going to have the privilege of, of meeting this guy once we get there, but it's this guy, his name is Stanley, um, and Stanley is, he's about my age, um, but Stanley has had kind of a crazy life, and Stanley now works with Living Hope, but his story is one of the most powerful stories that I've ever been able to hear uh, just because of all the things that he's gone through in life. When Stanley was young, when he was a teenager, uh, Stanley was the fastest man in South Africa, uh, as a teenager. He was the fastest individual in uh, the country of South Africa. And so he was on this track to go and compete in the Olympics and all these things. But when Stanley was about 15 or 16, he got, um, he felt, he became a, he got addicted. He got into drugs. He got addicted to drugs. It obviously it affected his athletic performance. And so um, he kind of fell off the Olympic track. Um, and so what happens is, is he, what happened is he, he fell into kind of a crowd that was just not the right crowd. He um, he kind of worked, he started working for a drug lord, and this drug lord would have Stanley run, he was kind of the runner for the drug lord, so he'd give him a package, he'd take it to some place, he'd get the money back, he'd run it back, he'd deliver it, and he was kind of done, and that was kind of Stanley's life for a while. Well, on one occasion, uh, Stanley took some of the money, uh, having financial difficulties, he took some of the money, and as they were leaving, um, he just kind of ran and left, and of course, so now the drug lords are on a hunt for Stanley, and they go, and they finally find Stanley, and they, Stanley, and they take him to this house, and they strap him down on the ground, and they pull out a gun, loaded, and they stick it to his head, um, seconds away from dying, and at this point, a little girl, this little, this young child walks in the room, who was the drug lord's uh, daughter, and it diverted his attention for like long enough for Stanley to kind of be able to wrestle away from the guys holding him down, and he ended up running out of the house. And as he was running out of the house, he fell in this huge hole. Um, he climbed out of the hole, and he ran off. And as he was leaving, he thought about He fell in this hole, and as he got out of the hole, he looked back, and he, sit, he, he had this thought, that hole is where they were going to bury me after they killed me. Um, and from that moment on, Stanley has turned his life over to the Lord. Uh, and Stanley has, uh, is, is just an extremely, he's a, he's a remarkable guy. He, he's, he works for Living Hope, and he's one of these passion. he's extremely passionate, he's very energetic, he's fun-loving. Everybody in the community knows him. Like, we'll go on these walks through the city, and people will just start yelling at Stanley. You know, everybody knows Stanley. The drug lords know Stanley. You know, the little kids that are going to club know Stanley. Everybody knows and loves Stanley. Um, but it was interesting, last summer I had the chance, we were walking through and, and we saw some, they have these little stations where these drug lords hang out and they make these exchanges and um, we saw them and, and Stanley like talked, just had a conversation with one of them for a few minutes and I was asking Stanley, I was like, Stanley, what's been like the hardest thing for you since leaving all that? And he was like, the hardest thing is knowing that at any point I want to, I can literally walk over there, I can abandon my life at Living Hope. And I can go right back into that world. And I will have more money than I've ever thought about having in my life. I'll have more respect. I'll have cars. I'll literally have anything that I could ever want. 
And he said, and there are days where it is, it is unbelievably tempting to walk into that. And there are other days where I have strength. He said, but the thing about it is, and I love that because he said, he uses these words. He said, the thing about the life that I have now is that God has called me to this place. And the blessing that he has bestowed upon my life is one that I would never, the joy experience is something that I would never find anywhere else. The beauty of what Stanley has experienced is that he is real, he's come to this realization that, look, money and power and fame and success, all that stuff is great, but that's not what God has called me to. God has called me to a life where I make very, very, very little money, but I do so, but he continues to provide no matter what. It's a life of provision. It's a life where maybe it's paycheck to paycheck, kind of figuring out how it's going to work. But Stanley is one of the most joyful people I've ever met. And the reason being is because he is exactly where God has called him to be. I think a lot of times for us, it's hard when we face opposition. It's hard when we see the opportunity to maybe be somewhere else or be doing something else. Those things, they get in our mind and they cause us to doubt the place that God has brought us. But if for any of us in the room who have faced opposition and who have seen the Lord bring us through that, one of the best things about being called to Christ is that there is a joy and there is a peace and there is a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes from resting in the presence of our Father than um, any other experience could ever offer us. Um, as we close, I want to uh, kind of reflect back on, uh, on this idea of the tunic. I, I, um, I've read this passage many times, and I, I think it wasn't maybe until earlier this year that as I read this passage, I reflected on this idea that Jesus tells them to have one tunic. And I think there's multiple reasons why, and I, I want to offer these maybe as, a, as an encouragement um, for us. I think it's twofold. I think the first thing that, that we see is that um, Jesus says, hey, even in the smallest of things, like your clothes, like the clothes that you have, um, even in the smallest of things, I want you to be diligent to be able to offer those things to me. I want you, even in the smallest of things, because if you cannot offer me the smallest of things, you will never be able to offer the biggest of things. I think these are the words of Christ in this section. The other thing is this. One of the reasons I love it is because I also, I love the idea that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take care of every single need that you have, even down to the clothes that you may put on your back. I'm going to take care of absolutely every need. You don't need a second tunic because I'm going to provide for you. You don't need food. You don't need your belt. You don't need, you don't need money. You don't need bread. You don't need any of these things because I'm going to provide um, everything for you. Um, Wherever you are today in your calling, whatever it is that the Lord is doing and the ways in which God is orchestrating your life, um, there is a calling that is upon our lives uh, today. Uh, There is a calling. There is a response that that God is offering us. And in all honesty, we can kind of respond in one of two ways. Uh, In in the, the first calling of the disciples, we see this story where Jesus is walking along the river and he sees Andrew and Peter out in the water and they're fishing. And he says, hey, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the scripture says that immediately they dropped their nets, they left them where they were and they immediately turned and they followed Jesus. Um, There's kind of this side. Then there's the other side, and, and I tend to find myself in this place, but um, there's, we, obviously, we, we know the story of Jesus with the rich young ruler, and this rich young ruler comes before Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, like, what do I need to do to, inherit, to have eternal life? And he says, well, you need to, you know, these things, these things, and the, the rich young ruler is like, well, I've done all that, and he says, well, then you need to sell all you have and give to the poor. And it's, a, it's just the idea that sadness at that moment filled this man's heart. Um, as he turned and as he left. Um, 
We're kind of somewhere in between these two. We're either at drop the nets, we're, we're drop the nets and we're running, or we're turning from the Lord in sadness because of what he's called us to. And wherever it is, I, I pray that, that we would be um, confident in the calling that Christ has on our life. I pray, as I've looked over my own life, and, and I realize that um, I'm early in my journey and that God has, there's things that I don't know what he's going to do. Um, there's some things, obviously, that he's called me to now that are very exciting, but I pray that I, as I continue to grow in ministry, as I continue to age, that I look like this, that I am a, I'm a drop-my-nets-and-run kind of guy. I want to be that as a disciple. I want to look like that, and I pray that for each of us today, wherever we find ourselves, um, may, we may we drop our nets and run with one tunic. May we be one tunic Christians who say, God, I don't need all the other stuff. I just want to be found where you have me. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you. Today, Lord, that you take care of us, and um, God, you call us, and um, Father, at times, that's often very scary, and so, uh, Lord, I pray today, um, God, wherever we are in our calling, Lord, whatever it is that you're doing in our life, uh, Lord, give us the boldness to say, hey, we're just, we're dropping our nets, and we're running, God, we have, we're wearing one tunic, we, we, we don't have any food, we don't have any money, but hey, you've called us here, and so we're coming. God, may we run with boldness. May we run with um, anticipation. Um, But more than that, may we run with confidence, knowing, Lord, that you are taking care of every need. Um, God, may may we run um, realizing that left to our own devices, Father, we will fall way short. Um, God, but we can trust in the ultimate power uh, that there is in Jesus. Father, may we run not feeling the need to hold on to the material security in our life, our cars, our clothes, our money, whatever it may be. Would we just, would we be confident in the fact that you are taking care of even those needs? Um, Father, may we hold fast to that. And Lord, today as we, um, as we walk out of these doors, and Father, even maybe as early as this afternoon as we face opposition that comes because of our stance with Christ, God, give us the boldness um, and the strength to be able to continue to press on. Um, As we face those obstacles, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the fact that, Lord, your presence has come and filled our life. Um, God, that there is a joy that is insurmountable um, from being found in the presence of Jesus. God, there is a joy, there is a a fulfillment um, from being found in you that we cannot find in any other experience in all of the world. Father, no dollar, no no city, Father, no trip, no, no anything can, can compare um, to what those things uh, challenge us with. And so, Lord, I, uh, I thank you uh, for the calling that you've placed on our lives today. God, would you, um, would you challenge us as we leave to continue to look more like you, to continue to um, live into the calling that you have placed on our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.